that you all just saw. Um, I don't have to go into too much detail about the actual plot points of what I want to talk about tonight. David's story is huge. It's, um, it encompasses quite a few books of the Bible, and not only that, but also he writes a lot of, uh, the King David, he writes a lot of the Psalms, uh, which are kind of songs to God about what he's experiencing at that point. But I guess the main thrust of what I want to talk about tonight is about God's sovereignty over your future, in that with God, your future is assured. He's always going to be in control. And all you need from God and all David received from God at a very young age was a promise. Whoa! That's a big promise. That one day, that one day he would be king over all Israel and Judah. And the funny thing about David's story is this came when he was such a small child and yet it wasn't until many, 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 many years later and, and lots of trials that this actually came to fulfillment. Um, so, I guess I'll just start with a few uh, sort of brief context things about what's going on in, uh, in, in Israel around David's time, and, uh, and then I'm going to get into kind of six points, and we're going to blast through them really quickly. So, a bit of context, um, God's people have been brought out of slavery, um, they have come to the promised land, God has made a covenant with His people to be their God and for the, for the Israelites to be, um, to be His people. And um, the Israelites have gone through cycle after cycle of, uh, of believing God and becoming uh, the people that God wants them to be, but then disobeying God, falling away, and enemies come and put pressure on the Israelites. And in order to save the Israelites, that would be a great idea. In order to save the Israelites... In order to, thank, thank you so much, tech guys up the back. Thank you. Um, so in order to save the Israelites, God would raise up a, a judge or a very awesome person who the Spirit of the Lord came upon to lead his people back out of the slump that they got themselves in. And often it involved military stuff and that sort of, sort of thing as well. Now, after a few cycles of that, the people of Israel really, really, really badly wanted a king. And as we saw in the video, God chose Saul to be that king. And uh, Samuel anoints him and he becomes the king of, instead of 12 different tribes, it sort of starts becoming together as one nation, Israel. Um, but there is still a lot of pressure from outside enemies. The Philistines, kind of like uh, the Israelites' arch nemesis, they are getting stronger and stronger and putting pressure on, uh, on the nation of Israel as well, while it's still in its uh, juvenile stages. So, into this setting, we have David. And David is given a promise by the prophet Saul who comes and anoints him with oil and says, you are going to be the new king of Israel. Now, if we back up a bit, we're going, okay, so there's a new king of Israel. That's because Saul, who God had chosen and given that same promise that you are going to be the king of Israel and lead my people to where I want them to go. Saul had taken that promise, but the character within him he was not allowing God to form the character that he needed to sustain him in that position of being king over all people. And his pride, um, his stubbornness, his disobedience to God, his unwillingness to listen to God results in that kingdom slowly being taken away from him. And again, this is, this is the way that God is kind of directing history to, towards accomplishing uh, his purposes of establishing a kingdom in Israel. And uh, so, we have David. And I guess the six things that I'm going to talk about tonight are six words that start with the letter P. 
This is all preachers do, seriously. We sit around and we think of ways that we can make it all work out beautifully with alliteration. Um, so the first thing, the first point is promise, right? So Samuel anoints David with oil. He receives a promise from God that he is going to be the king of Israel. And they mentioned it in that story. There's a very key verse there that the Lord is talking to Samuel in this whole king selection process saying, the Lord doesn't see things the way that you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Because that was the first thing that fell apart when Saul was king, was his heart, his character, his inner person wasn't capable of sustaining him in the position that he was in. Um, Okay, so fueled by that promise, young teenager David goes out and does some incredible things. The famous story of David and Goliath. He becomes a commander in Saul's army. He is given promotion after promotion, becomes wildly popular among the nation of Israel who are looking for protection, right, from their arch nemesis, the Philistines. And so he then marries, David marries into the royal family. He marries Saul's daughter. So all of a sudden, David, who is now probably becoming a young man, um, probably starting to pack on a bit of weight, and becoming a bit of a threat to be reckoned with on the battlefield. He is now being offered a part in the royal family. He's becoming a part of, ki- uh, of King Saul's inner circle. And I don't know about you, but if I was in that position, I'd be thinking to myself, this is working out pretty well so far. I'm getting closer and closer to that promise that God gave me. Um, maybe any day now, Saul will just kind of hand it off and, uh, and give me the crown because, you know, I'm, I think I'm doing pretty well with myself. So, number two. He gives David a promise. He gives, God gives David a position. And as David's influence grows, his position also grows to the point where it starts to get on Saul's nerves a little bit. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 14 to 16, it says, David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. So, again, the whole idea of summer stories and what we're trying to do is to kind of look at these stories. Maybe you've heard them before. Maybe you haven't. It's okay. But try and identify yourself in these stories. And I guess every time I say, I don't know what you would do, but this is what I would do, that's kind of me doing that out loud, okay? So, in this, uh, in this situation, we see David given a position where he's succeeding in a lot of things. But I guess the question I ask myself, and so the question I would ask you is, how do we respond when we're given success? You know, especially at, uh, especially at a young age, you know, all you young guys, how do we respond when we're given success? There was a massive study that was done of a bunch of different leaders in like, histor- uh, like historical settings and government settings and biblical settings. Uh, throughout thousands of years, they did this massive work and looking at the key aspects of successful leaders long term. And that was that they actually had more work done on their character in the early years. Some were successful, some weren't. But the ones that didn't, that kind of skipped that character work and became insanely successful the odds of them burning out, failing, having some sort of character breakdown skyrocket when that immense success comes at a young age. And that's because the character, the substance of your soul that God is most interested in is still being formed at that stage. So I guess the question I would ask you, especially if you're young, is how would you respond to success that comes your way, especially while you're young? 
Because the way that we see David doing it, he's not going out after Saul's throne, even though he is immensely popular and he's taking a lot of success in his early years. He is waiting, he's still believing that God is going to fulfill that promise that he's given him, but he's not going after it himself. All right, so we move on. The third thing, David receives protection. So he's received a promise from God, he's been given a position, and now it's all going a bit pear-shaped because Saul's insanely jealous. So now he's given protection, and the people that are surrounding David, David's closest friends, well, I mean, his wife and his friend Jonathan, they help him get out of there, as well as other people who are loyal to David, help protect David over a season of some pretty insane persecution from Saul. So we, again, there are all kinds of details you can read about, but as David is kind of rising through his, uh, through his stage of character formation and moving towards the promise that God's given him, we kind of also see Saul falling further and further away from where God wanted him to be. And so we start seeing things like Saul uh, killing priests who are helping to uh, assist David in his, in his flight away from Saul. There, we're starting to see Saul calling up uh, calling up people from the dead through mediums, trying to get a grip of what's going on. More and more, we see fall, uh, Saul falling away from his God-given calling because his character is just crumbling out from underneath him. Meanwhile, David's not taking advantage of this opportunity. He is relying on God to protect him and to sustain him through the trials that he's going through. So, David receives a, first of all, a promise. Then he's given a position. He receives protection. Fourth thing, David exercises a lot of patience. And I guess this is like the biggest thing that I want to um, convey this evening is that when God gives you a promise, He is going to be the one who will be faithful to bring it into fruition. I have been so tempted on so many times to take uh, to take a word or a promise that God has given me and to go out and get it for myself and to try and arrange circumstances in my life so that I get it on my own terms. And yet we see the way that David responds to God's promise in his life is to wait on him. The amount of times that we read through all these different stories of David's you know, exploits uh, as a renegade on the run, we see him going away, we see him taking time with God and going, God, what do you want me to do? Right now, I have enemies on every side. I've got Saul chasing after me who wants me dead. I've got the Philistines who are wreaking havoc in my hometown and kidnapping my, my wives and my kids. What do you want me to do right now? Point me in the direction you want me to go. And God will say, yep, you have my blessing. Go in here, go and do this, go and get that done. And he's like, right, I'll do it. So he takes his, you know, couple of hundred dudes and off he goes. But he has patience because that same David who was growing in strength, growing in character, he could have very easily, like we saw in that story, he was given two opportunities where some pretty, um, let's say, lax guarding on the part of Saul's, uh, uh, I guess, royal guard, uh, allowed David to actually come right up to where Saul is sleeping and the people, the, one of the guys that was actually with David was like, you know what, here's a crazy idea. You're promised to be king. We all know that. You're a pretty great guy. The king's sleeping here. He's practically insane. You could just speed this whole thing up a bit and uh, end it right now, and maybe we'd all be better off. But he doesn't do that. He honors what God has already called Saul to do, and trusts God with the promise that he's received, that one day I'll be king, but for the moment, 
for the moment, God is the one that's responsible for what is going on in Saul's life. Mine is not to jump in there to try and seize matters in my own hands and turn it into something that's advantageous for myself. So patience, it's like, I don't know, this would be, this would be the thing that if I was in David's shoes, that would be the thing I would struggle with most. To go up twice, to be given the opportunity twice to end it and to take the throne for myself. But it, again, it shows the character that God was building in David that he was able to pass that off and go, you know what, that's okay. God's got, God's taking care of whatever's going on there. That's not my, that's not my business. My primary responsibility is to open my heart, to let God build within me what he wants to build so that I can get to the promise that he's given me, that I can get to the future that he's got for me. Okay, so promise, position, protection, patience, persistence. I don't really need to say much more here. This kept on happening and happening and happening. There were more and more opportunities, and I wish I had time to go through all these different stories because there are some absolute killers in there of David persistently showing up and giving his everything to follow what God was asking him to do, willing to risk his men, willing to risk his family on the promise that God had given him and the assurance that God had his circumstances under control. And um, I think there's a, uh, there's a psalm, Psalm 27, there's a bunch of psalms that David wrote while he was uh, on the run and doing this whole, um, you know, renegade thing where, uh, where Saul's chasing him, but he's also defeating enemies at the same time. And this kind of reflects what is going on in David's heart and the reason why God was so keen on David. And, uh, and I'll just kind of blast through it, but there's one bit here at the end that I really want you to pay attention to. It says, Starts off by saying, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. Why should I tremble when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me? They will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. And here's the kicker. This is where it all comes together. And young people especially, this is where I challenge you. This is where you want to live. This is where you want to set up home base. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. This is coming from a guy who for years now has been on the run, has been hunted down, he's been fighting off Israel's enemies, and he's also been running away from Israel's king. And this is where his heart lives. God, I just want to be spending time with you. I want to live where you want me to live. I want to live in your presence all the days of my life. And so, we get to the final thing. And that's, I couldn't think of a better word, so I was like, payoff. Payoff sounds, it kind of cheapens the effect of, of, the, of the promise fulfilled for David. Just go with it. So, promise, position, protection, patience, persistence, and we get to payoff. And this is where it all comes together. When the promised future for David is fulfilled, Saul's um, character flaws or his unwillingness to let God work in his life has run its course. And unfortunately, he and his family meet a very bitter end. David doesn't revel in this. I know I probably would have. I would have been like, at the very least, on a good day, I would have been like, phew, 
well, that's one less thing to worry about. On a bad day, I would have been like, yes, I'm now king. Um, but David didn't do either of those things. He goes out, avenges Saul's death. He gives him a proper mourning. He celebrates what God had done through Saul. And then he takes up his place on Israel's throne. And the amazing thing is, is that once this promise that David was given many, many, many years ago has run its course, and here he is now standing in a, I don't know, they probably would have had some sort of tent or something, because they didn't really have a palace at this point, and David is crowned king of Israel, God gives him another promise. And that's kind of how, that's kind of how God will work. He'll keep giving you promises. And the funny thing about the one that he gave David is that it went further and further ahead into eternity than uh, that I'm sure David would, was even thinking possible at the time. So in, uh, in the end of, wait, no, that's not the one I'm after. Um, in the beginning of 2 Samuel, David has just set up as the king of Israel. And in chapter 7, it says, the Lord's covenant promise to David. So his promise as becoming king of Israel has been fulfilled, and this is what God says about David. I reckon this is amazing. If God ever said this about me, I would be over the moon. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be leader of my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone, and I've destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I, make, I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. He goes on about promising um, protection for Israel. And then he says, Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a new house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with a rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. That's a humdinger of a promise. That is amazing to think that all of David's struggles and all of his life journey up to this point has been fueled on by the one promise that he was given as a boy, that he would become king. Now here he stands as king, and God is saying that I am going to establish your throne forever. And part of that is talking about Solomon, who would build the temple uh, where God would dwell among his people. And the other part of that, he's talking about Jesus, who would come and extend God's nation to include all, which I think is um, absolutely mind-blowing. So the question I have for myself, and the question that I would share with all of you, is that how do we, how do I, how do you respond when we're given a promise? Are we opening our hearts and our lives up for God to work within us to bring about the promise that He has? Do you notice all throughout this story, God is working circumstances, He's, bringing, he's working through history, He is being sovereign in that He is in control over all of these things, but the one thing that He is not forcing is David's ability to choose to trust and obey God. And that is the one thing that God will not touch. Throughout history, God will not force people to trust and obey Him. 
There are consequences, both good and bad, for choosing to or choosing not to. But God does not force that. So as you're sitting in your seat, and as I'm standing up here, I'm asking myself, am I opening myself up for God to be able to build the character in me, build the, everything that he needs to, so that that promise that I've been given can be fulfilled? And if you're sitting there and going, well, you know, I don't know if I have a promise, um, you know, I'm just kind of doing life right now and, um, you know, I show up to school or show up to work or whatever and I'm just kind of going through it. Um, I want to start with just some really, I mean, it's tempting to say simple, but they're really profound promises that God has already said about you. They're littered throughout Scripture, but ones in particular um, that these are just some that come from Romans 8. And um, I don't know, if we were going to be going back into a song, I'd ask Lucas to jump up and play that secret chord that David played, please the Lord, anyway. Um, (laughs) But we won't, because we're going to get into some discussion here. Um, But here's some of the promises that God has given each of us, regardless of who you are, where you've come from, what you've done, accepting the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, that king that was promised to David who would establish a throne forever, through Jesus, it says in Romans 8, because of Christ, you've been made right with God. I'm I'm roughly paraphrasing. This is not quoting. Um, Because of Christ, you've been made right with God. You have God's spirit within you. You will share in God's glory through Christ. He promises that there will be suffering. He also promises that the Holy Spirit is praying for you, that God is working to make you more like Christ. And God is causing everything to work together for good according to his will and purpose. And that's just a starting place of the promises that God has already given to each and every one who would accept what Christ has done in their, li- in, um, yeah, in their lives. And I think just this verse I'm going to finish up with before we start some discussion um, is, can you imagine how David was feeling when all of this opposition was against him? when, you know, circumstances were not exactly in his favor, but he's hanging on to the promise that God's given him right at the start. And this is the verse that is in Romans 8.31. And I guess this is the something that David would have been saying to himself again and again. Again, this is something Paul wrote thousands of years later, but bear with me. What shall we say about such wonderful things as, as these, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? That's where David lived. He got alone. He spent time with God. Take that time each and every day. Trust and obey. And God's going to do amazing things working out that promise in your life. And keep searching for that promise. You know, there are so many in the scriptures, but comb through them. Find the ones that are resonating with the character that God's building within you. And then take the time to walk it out and allow God to work and grow within you. 